Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply The shark bait has such teeth, dear, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe, and it keeps it out of sight. You know when that shark so welcome everybody to another episode of Macklin's Take. Me, Andy Clark and Matt Macklin steering the ship as always. And we did think that we might have broken through to some kind of sunnier climb, some calmer, better weather. But the water's got a little bit choppier since we were last with you. Such is life at the moment. These are the times we're in. But I'll cut to the chase today because on the podcast today, I'm glad to say that we've got somebody who is tight for time, which is fair enough because he's a very busy, busy person. And also the biggest name we've ever had on Macklin's Take. I don't think there's any doubt about that because he's a real-life Hall of Famer, somebody who has been at the top of the boxing business and industry for decades. And I was going to say he's been there, seen it and done it all. He definitely has now. He probably thought he had at the start of the year, but he definitely has now. Uh, it's Frank Warren. Frank's, uh, Frank, thanks for joining us. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, we don't want to talk too much COVID because I think people are a bit talked out, but in the context of your career, when it happened and and you realised the enormity of it, or you were trying to assess the enormity of it, what were you thinking? Is it, is this the kind of, was it the kind of task you thought, look, I can, I'm going to have to relish this or, or did you kind of heave a deep sigh? I think it's a bit of everything really. Um, at the end of the day, you know, the whole country's in, was in a worse situation back then. <clears throat> and my concern was that other sports were um, were gearing up to, to, you know, to work within the, the confines of what we're dealing with. So we felt that, you know, we've got to do the same with boxing. So we were quite um, really pushing for the border control and government. And we, we had, we've had, we've had at least uh, 
two or three meetings now with various departments in government. Contrary to what Eddie Hearn says, he's not the only you know he's not the only person who's been dealing with government. We've been dealing with them at a level for a while, and we put on three shows before anybody else did. And the reason we did, and we and the way we the reason we went down that road of you know looking at domestic titles to start with because. Obviously, you're testing the water. You've got to make sure it works. You can't afford any mistakes. You had to ensure that um, it was safe for everybody. Once the government said we were allowed to do it, that it was going to be as, as safe an environment as possible because um, it was not just the boxers. It was the people like the TV people working on the show. You know, everybody involved. Everybody had to be, we had to ensure they, that it was going to be okay. So we worked hard to get it on. And for me, the biggest reason for it was to keep the sport relevant because... We couldn't get left behind as a sport. You know, if suddenly football was on, racing and various other sports were, were on there and we hadn't got boxing up and going between us all, then that would have been a problem, I think, for the sport. Because it doesn't matter what anybody says. There's, there's got to be, there's going to be an economic shakeout for the whole country and there's certainly going to be for, for, for televised sport. And you know yourself, you know, Sky, BT, their number one sport is football. That's where all the money goes into. So we've got to make sure that, as I said, that we stayed relevant. And what I mean by relevant, being in there and, and delivering some rate ratings. So that was my prime concern. And also the fact, you know, the Tyson Furies, Anthony Joshua's as well, they're, as much as they want to fight, at least they are comfortable financially. Some of the guys, you know, just starting out or at certain levels in the sport, obviously they had bills to pay. So, um, that was where we was where we was at, and I think what we've done, what we've done, I think what Matram done, I think even Mick Hennessy, everybody's worked hard to get some shows. And the MTK, I think, are doing some shows as well. Everybody's worked very hard to ensure that the sport is out there, and I think, and I think, you know, that everybody deserves a pat on the back for that. Matt, what I what I found interesting over the summer, and, and then I'm sure you did too, was that when it looked like boxing might be on the way back. The first thing we kind of heard about was was Fight Camp and the plans for Fight Camp, and that was put out there quite early before dates were finalised. Frank played his cards close to his chest, didn't really say too much, and then all of a sudden, although obviously the planning had been been put in to the nth degree, all of a sudden, here come Frank, here, here comes Frank Warren blazing up on the rail and goes and goes three weeks before anybody else. Yeah, typical Frank. <laughs> keep his cards close to his chest. Uh, no, listen, it, it's great to see everyone, like Frank mentioned, uh, Matt Shroom and Mick Hennessy, I think just to get the sport going, you know, listen, there'll be there'll be little civil wars and, 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 and slagging up again when things get up and running. That's just the nature of, of the business, isn't it? But I think ultimately, if everyone's united and they have been, um, certainly to the best of my knowledge, they have been quite, quite well, with the border control and the government, everyone working together, different broadcasters, but making sure that everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet a little bit, not trying to go in direct competition with each other because that that doesn't that just hurts the sport in general. And um, you know, hope, you know, hopefully that it's laid a bit of a foundation for cross promotions, uh, working together. You know, deals to be done. Ultimately, Frank's got Frank stable. He's got a contract with BT. Eddie's Matchroom got a contract with Sky. So they're always going to go there first but you know sometimes big fights you know they need they need to work together so I think that maybe that wouldn't have happened prior to this uh, whole COVID thing so look it's uh, that's certainly one positive that looks like it could come out of it I'm still waiting for the call 
He must be on a long holiday. <laughs> network. He's got bad network where he is. Yeah, tell me. Yeah, he should get a BT line. But um, when when uh, when we when we were going to start doing these shows originally, um, I was talking to Stephen Purdue, who's a friend of mine. He owns um, Shampies, and we were originally going to looking at to do them there, but we changed our mind because we, um, especially from BT's perspective, because they they were worried about the safety of their um, employees. So we that's why we went up in the studio. We felt that was the easiest way to control what we was doing. So that's why we was there. But it, you know, it's, in, it's, it's all been very interesting. It's been, it's been quite... For me, the thing about all this is that there are no away fighters anymore. When you get to the venue, no one's going into the lion's den. You know, the guy in the red corner... There's no one there. There's no fans there who are cheering them on. And I think, and I've noticed that you're getting out of the, out of the, um, the opposition. Some of these guys are finding a bit more. Whereas, you know, had there been a crowd there, and, and you know, most of the guys who are top of the bill, big ticket sellers, and have their fans cheering them on. I think these guys, some of these guys, have really pulled a bit more out of the bag, and they've been quite competitive in a lot of the fights. Well, it's been it's been really interesting, I think, because I've I've covered a, a number of your bills for for Talk Sport, and I was over at Fight Camp, and and it's just been great seeing fighters roll the dice and happy to take good competitive, hard fights because we've been talking for such a long time, forever, really, in boxing about how that's what we what we need to see. So we're not going to get too bogged down with with coronavirus, as I said, because there are so many things that we could we could talk to you talk to you about, uh, and one of them is the is the art of promotion, basically. That, that's the main topic we want to address because we've had Callis Owland on. Uh, we've had Eddie on as well a, a couple of weeks ago. But you have, as I said at the top, you've achieved the kind of longevity that, that very, very few people do. How much have the basic tenets of the job changed in the time that you've been doing it? Or has its basic principles, have they always really stayed the same in terms how, of how you guide uh, and build a fighter's career. I think. I think that, you know. At the end of the day, what it's about is the fight. I mean, people don't buy tickets to see me, Barry Hearn, Eddie Hearn. They buy tickets to go and see the fight. So at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. <clears throat> Has it changed over the years? Well, how people um, consume or watch boxing now is different. You know, when I kicked off, there was only two channels. That was BBC. And ITV and ITV didn't show domestic boxing. They showed a lot of overseas boxing, and I got them. I got them involved. And then you could also, in those days, you could sell a ten rounder as a main event, a competitive ten rounder. The proliferation of titles came about because TV companies started demanding title fights. So that's why you got a lot of titles. You know, that, that, that's basically why that's happened. Um, but you know. Back then, there were weigh-ins on the day of the fights. The championship fights were over 15 rounds. They were changed for safety reasons to 12s. Um, the weigh-ins were brought forward a day. Um, guys would sometimes have 20-odd 20, 20 fights, 24 fights, before they even fought for a, a, a title, and, and sometimes a southern area title. They'd have a lot of fights. You get guys now turn pro. They could be in a title fight after eight or nine fights. It has happened. But invariably, probably 12 fights, they're on the verge of fighting for some sort of, you know, domestic title. So that's changed. Um, that's probably, the, probably maybe the fitness levels have changed. I think, you know, fighters themselves, 
you can always look at an era in any sport. You think, you know, this one would be that one. This this player's a better player than that one. Would they survive? But I think the 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 era that I grew up in, I think, was some of the some of the best fighters of the time times times I've had in boxing. You know, look at the people like, you know, the Leonards, obviously the Allies, the Frazier's, the Foreman's. They were just great fighters, and they would be great fighters and standout fighters in today. You know, exceptionally great fighters. I think. Um, it's. Uh, I, th- I think now you know we we you know we're obviously we're in the business of promoting how you bring fighters through. I'm still very conscious that boxers should get a grounding, that they should learn their trade. I mean, I everyone's to see them thrown in the deep end. You know, and that's wrong to do that. Not just in boxing, in any sport. You know, guys need to be get their experience, build their confidence levels up. Um, you get situations where, um, you know, with with where. Back then, you know, when I started off, there were fighters that go and have eight, ten fights a year when they turn pro. Now, I think the average is four fights. So that's changed. Lots of things like that have changed. And for me, the only way a boxer gets experience is to have fights when they're youngsters, have, you know, have a real good schedule of fights, be busy, because not only are they fighting, they're, they're most importantly, they're in the gym all the time and they're working and they're learning. So you know, I would I would prefer I try to when we can to give give our guys more fights than we you know than than the, than the than they would some of them would like, and I and I find this you know four fights a year for guys turning pro sometimes is very difficult. But we're in an age where what you're paying the guys when you think over the course of the year if they're having four fights. Uh, you're agreeing the fee you've got got for them. I think they should take some of them should take a little bit less and have six fights or eight fights, and they get more experience. And it'll move them quicker. We can move them more quickly to get to a stage where they can earn even more money if they're good enough. So I would like you know to get back. That that's a big change that I've I've seen that, that's happened over the years. And obviously, um, you know the amateurs getting paid. They I don't know. Did you get paid, Matt, when you was fighting? You didn't get any money, did you, from the amateurs? Yeah, they were starting. To, they were just starting to bring it in, kind of, because of Audley Harrison. Um, you know, Lobby right. didn't need the lottery funding, so I, I got a little bit, and then I turned pro with you at eighteen. So not, you know, yeah. only for a year, and I turned over. But listen, listening to there, Frank, about it, I mean, I am in total agreement with that. Being busy, learning your trade, having the experience. Um, in terms of the money, is there is there a way of doing it? Is there a way of putting it in the contract? Because you know, as a fighter, you're thinking, well, how much am I getting per fight? Can you not stagger it where, well, if you're on TV, you get this much. If you're on a non-TV or a lesser channel with a lesser budget, then this is what you get. You know, like I think in America sometimes, remember one of the contracts is, if you're on HBO, your minimum would be this. If you're on ESPN, your minimum would be, you know, considerably less. Is there not a way of doing that to kind of ensure fighters stay busy? It depends the level of the fighter as an amateur. I mean, you think Anthony Yard... Turned pro with us, he was uh, he had only twelve fights as an amateur. So, you know, when he came in, he, you know, he, obviously he was he was knocking all the guys over. But when he came in, you know, in, from his hands, from his point of view, for me it was it was it was so important, certainly for Tundi's manager, that he got experience because he hadn't had it from the amateurs. He needed experience, and he still, even now, is you know, he's only had twenty pro fights. He's had thirty-one fights in his whole life. You know, it's uh, 
that's not a lot of fights. You know, some amateurs can have 60, 70 fights before they turn pro. So it depends, again, what level they're at and, and, what, and what the expectation level is from guys. Mm. And I think, I mean, when Amir Khan turned pro, everybody was after him and he, wanted, you know, he signed with me. Um, the, because of what he wanted, we could only give him four fights. You know, this is what we can afford to give you out of our budget for the year. You know, we've got a budget we work within like everybody has. This is how much we can afford to pay you. I would have preferred to, that he'd had a few more fights. Not for money, for no, you know, that we're gaining money, but the fact that it would have got him more experience, you know, got experience quickly. And and I think that's that's one of the problems. And it's, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out, you know, this virus thing, how, how boxing is going to be next year. I mean, you know, the worst has not hit us yet as far as the financial implications. You know, furlough finishes in October. A lot of people are going to be made redundant. People are going to be out of work. Are they going to be out of, you know, when boxing comes back, they're going to be able to buy tickets. How are we going to get crowds in? There's going to have to be some sort of readjustment to, to move forward if, if we stay as we are. But for, for example, if, if, if someone signed with you and you're wanting them to box eight times a year, we'll just say a Birmingham fighter for, for an example, and you can give them four TV dates because, you know, you've got other fighters and there's only so many slots on TV available. And if he's on TV, he gets X amount. But then to stay busy and to develop as a fighter, let's say a Birmingham promoter that does non-TV shows like John Peck, couldn't you work a deal out with someone like that where he still gets out and fights on those cards where you've got some kind of relative control or last say on the opponent? So at least he stays busy. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it, it, is a, it is a possibility. You know, it's a possibility of doing it. You know, when we was on, when we were, when my shows were on Box Nation, the good thing about it, we were doing a lot of shows. You know, we were, I mean, you, we were, doing loads of shows so we could accommodate a lot of guys but you know we like Sky same as B, you know we're at BT there you know there's only what, I think what do we do we, I think between us what do we do something like 15 to 20 shows a year whatever it is on, on those two channels um, between, you, know, uh, our, you know the other promoters and ourselves so it's, it's very difficult we've got a lot of guys on the books and the big problem we got now is because of the COVID and moving forward and not knowing where we are when we came back, the board said we could have only have five fights on the show. So that's 10 fighters. Um, they're going up to seven now. So that's 14 fighters. You know yourself on a big show, big promotion, be nothing unusual to have 12, 14 fights on most of our shows. So we're losing those spots. And that's, that's a problem there. So you're trying to, you know, satisfy everybody and move, you know, keep everybody, you know, give them a certain amount of fights. So at the moment... It's nigh on impossible. And again, the small hall promoters are just not operating at the moment because they can't, they can't have uh, any, any live gates there. And it's going to be interesting to see, even if they do bring live gates back. So, for example, York Hall or, you know, I don't know, one of the small venues up, you know, say in Birmingham, you've got a place that holds 1,200 people and they're saying basically it's a 20%, you're only allowed 20% of the people in there. That's, you know, that's three 400 people. That don't work. So it's going to be a long time before any of this, you know, be, uh, until they get this vaccine and, and, and they allow us to get people back in. But we even we could even do a deal with a small group promoters to do that now. You know, times, times are, I mean, no one knows what's happening. It just changes on a daily basis. We were hoping that we were going to be at bums on seats next month for the uh, du, Daniel Dubois and Joe Joyce fight. And, and it's looking highly unlikely now.
Hey everybody, sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in hell, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desire and Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! I've said to Andy a few times, Frank, that the marketplace that we're in in boxing at the minute isn't real. It's a bubble. I said it started with the PBC, which was a huge hedge fund, and Heyman was overpaying fighters to build his stable. Then you had the zone coming in, having a punch, trying to buy their way into boxing. You've got, if rumours are to be heard, ESPN, hemorrhaging money to stay in the game. At what point does the bubble burst? And obviously there's going to be a reset and people coming back down to work because I, I was saying to Andy, I think fighters are going to suddenly start feeling like they're being robbed because they were getting 10 million and now they're getting 2 million. They think, oh, I'm not fighting for that. But that 10 million was, wasn't was real money, was it's it? Like, it wasn't generated. You know, Al, Al Heyman, as you say, he had his, uh, he had the hedge fund in and put all the money up. And I don't think, he didn't build a star. He didn't come out of it with a huge star, all that money spent. The zone have put fortunes into boxing, but they haven't built a star. I mean, you think about it. There's no big name fighter. All that money they've laid out, no big name fighter. And they've been paying a lot of money to guys who were basically, you know, low B, C fighters on um, on HBO before it went on. You know, before they bailed out of boxing, the likes of Andrade's and Gary Jacobs. They're not top. You know, they're not they're not household names in the states. So they paid big money for them. Alvarez obviously is a, is a, is a big he's the biggest star out there, and obviously there's problems at the moment with him because of uh, you know the issue of proceedings against him. And you know the guy who the guy who put the money up, Len Labnick, he's he's no fool. He's made a lot of money, and he knows they were overpaying. I mean, hugely overpaying boxes, which, as you quite rightly say, Matt, was great for the fighters, and it is great. And good luck to anyone doing that. You know, you, you can't blame. Can't blame bo- boxing for that, but when you're not creating anything out of it, when you've got no star out, out of that, when you've got nothing to show for it, then that's crazy. You know, where's that? Where where's the guy that's going to drive all these subscriptions? Where's the one that everybody's going to turn on and watch? And by the way, they're not getting seen. And now it's hemorrhage. It's hemorrhaging, it, and it's a terrible thing. You know, they're you know uh, their own. As CEO at, at the zone, has, you know, he's come out and said himself, you know, there's going to be a reset. Um, the expectation levels will come down. I think they've done like most of the companies have been in trouble. They've laid off staff, they've furloughed staff. They're, 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 without a doubt, there'll be a major reset. Now, Al Heyman in the States, he's got Showtime, which and he's got a, a contract and Fox. So whether that continues or not, I don't know. But at the moment, he's guaranteed. He's got his dates. ESPN, Bob Aram, Top Rank got their deal with them, and they've got a long-term contract, so they're pr- guaranteed pretty much uh, where they're at. And obviously, us, we've got um, a long-term contract with BT. We've still got a long term, you know, many years to go on it, so we're we're all good. I know that Matram are negotiating at the moment with Sky. I think they've got a couple of months left on their agreement. See what comes out of it, but you know, 
I think these the days of all this disowned stuff and whatever that that that, that those money's not going to happen again. And they I think they're closing their offices down all over. I, I was hearing shutting it down and basically they're going to just do a uh, you know an international broadcast. So in the states you'll just pick up the you'll pick up the broadcast rather than it happens in the states. That's what I'm hearing. Whether they do or not, I don't know. But it's yeah, you know, they're they're. Nothing you know, you know, that doesn't work. That model is not going to work. You know, it's not going to happen, and it's not going to happen if you cannot build a star. You know, we on Box Nation, we built Daniel Dubois and and uh, and Anthony Yard, we built Josh Warrington, who was on on Sky, and they couldn't, you know, no one could do anything, they never done anything with him. We turned him into a star, so I know what it takes to build fighters, and that is the difference. And I think that's what, you know, I think we're, we're very good at doing is, is developing and bringing the talent through, nurturing them and giving them the right opportunities. So I'm pleased with where we're at. And we've got tremendous, at the moment, you know, we're promoting some really good young kids. So I think we're on the cusp of just getting onto the, you know, they, they, from their sort of apprenticeship into, into, into becoming names like Hamza Shiraz. Um, and I'm going to go through loads of names. I mean, him, I'm using him as an example really on the cusp of doing something really, really good. And, uh, and you know, probably the biggest heavyweight fight out there other than Anthony Joshua and Tyson is Daniel Dubois and Joe Joyce. So we've really built, you know, we've built something and we're continuing to do that. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, that's what we do. And, and I suppose it's second nature to us. But to do that, you've got to have, you've got to have the confidence of the, of the fighter. And you know yourself. I think about you know, you know, in the past with yourself, you know, oh, matches that you want to make, or you know, and, and people getting in the way of it. I remember we had a big problem with Billy Graham, and I, I'm not saying that people shouldn't have a say in it, but you either trust somebody to do to, to you trust somebody to um, look after you, or you don't. You can't let you know. You can't be half in. You can't be half. You know, dip your toe half in. You're either in or you're out. And the ones who, who stick with it and, and show the faith, it always, uh, it, invariably, unless they get, you know, unless they're not up to it. I, I was just going to say, Frank, faith, faith and patience, two things I always lacked. <laughs> well, you know yourself, you've got a million people, you know, you start off, no one's even talking to you. You start doing well, you know, and you're doing that through your natural ability and what you're doing, but you're also doing it through the guidance again and giving you the platform and making the right matches and picking the right fights at the right time. And then out come all the experts. You know, why are you not doing this? Why is this not happening? Well, you know, where was you, day one? So that's that's a bit frustrating at times. But anyway, the, the bottom line is you move on. And for me, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of past... If I get into that situation, I'm old enough now to do it, I always think to myself, move on. It's pointless. I'm not going to waste my time on it. You know, I'm not getting any younger... So I'm not going to waste value, any valuable periods of my life on working with someone who's not going to, not who I don't feel is going to listen to what we what we have the experience in doing. So Frank, back in the day, certainly when I signed with you and before me, you in terms of promoting, it was very much a press conference. You know, building good relationships with the daily newspaper journals, radio stations, magazines, and you would push and you know, pull on those relationships and get favours and get people, you know, coverage that weren't known yet, but you were getting them known by getting them articles in certain magazines, papers, 
radio, etc. Obviously, the fights were on the television, but there was a lot of building behind the scenes, like I say, in those sort of media outlets. Then, obviously, social media happened. Things yep. changed. Um, Eddie was probably first to that, probably a generational thing. He was very quick on social media, Twitter, etc. You've readjusted and gone with it. How have you found that transition from you know the, the daily newspapers going out for a lunch, dinner after, phone call to social media, Instagram, Twitter, everything happening so fast? Hey, everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. How do I find it? Um, I think some of it's useful, and I think a lot of it is toxic. I think a lot of it is driven by people with agendas, whether they like me or dislike, you know, dislike me and vice versa to everybody else. People pick their sides, they're entitled to do that. And there's a lot of stuff goes on there that's very negative. And I think that if it's, if, if it's positive, and I don't mean positive, you know, you just want to repeat saying great, and obviously people are entitled to have their opinions and complain if they're not happy about something. But I, I do, I, I've got this thing in my head. Are these people actually buying tickets? You know, are they, are they, are, are some of them actually viewers? Do they pay for their subscription? You know, because we're on BT. Do they pay on, on Sky for it? Do they pay for the pay per view? Because it seems to me a lot of these people, they do it all day long. They can't have jobs. Some of them don't seem to be doing anything. So the whole, I haven't got time to do it all day. I don't know where they find the time to do it, you know, get a life. But you get some of that, and obviously you do get a lot, and you do get a lot of, of stuff that you know from people who are quite knowledgeable. But I, I haven't got time for all that. I, you know, for me, social media is about is no different than talking to a journalist, talking to a radio. No different there. But you've got to understand as well. You know, there is not you know people who, who watch boxing are not just youngsters. It's great to have youngsters, of course it is. But there's a, there's a there, are, there is an older generation in this country who were brought up on it, who watched it, you know, from very young age on, on terrestrial television. And they've got a voice and they, and they, you know, and they, and I believe they buy, they, they buy, buy and watch events. And we look at all the demographics of what the audiences are. And a lot of market research goes into that. But at the end of the day, you've got to serve everybody. It's not just a certain section of society who decide that they just want to, you know, that we have to pander everything to social media. If I was to do that, then I think it'd be, I would find that I'd be negligent in doing that. What we have to do is to ensure that we're covering all bases and getting the message out there and letting people see the talent. And it obviously works for us because the fighters, the fighters that we've got, they're getting tremendous views. I mean, David Adlier, his second fight on BT social media, just under 4 million people watched it. I mean, they're official figures. You look at the, on there, his last fight, I think about 1.1 watched it within a day. So that that's very useful to us. And working with BT is very useful because obviously what they are is a communications company. They own EE, which is the biggest uh, telephone company, uh, mobile TV uh, telephone company in, in, in Britain. Um, they've got 
tremendous outlet with their, with, with their social media. So between our social media and theirs, we've worked very hard and we've built up profiles of fighters. We even did it at Box Nation, profiles of fighters without, without the deep resources and pockets of the Skyhead. You know, when we walked away from Sky, we built fighters on them. And now we're, it's paying dividends. You know, I, I, I don't think he's got a long way to go yet, but regarding Daniel Dubois, I don't think there's a, a more, you know, a, a, a fighter that's got, that's had, that's got so much exposure and that people are so aware of than him. You know, you talk to anybody about the heavyweight division, his name comes up every time. So it's works. What we've done is works. And we've used, we have used social media, but we've used all the other traditional methods as well. And you've got to remember, at the end of the day, somebody's got to set the agenda. You know, somebody has to set the agenda for what the discussion's going to be, what the fight's going to be. So for me, the starting point is the newspapers. You can tease and say, right, got big, big, a big event coming out. We could, you know, watch this space, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, the newspaper... The press conference with everybody there, that sets the agenda. And then you start, then it moves on to social media and so forth, because then people will react to what's out there. I, th- I think that's an, in- an interesting point you make about social media, because I do genuinely think, and me and Matt have spoken about this before, that the, the value of a big social media following is is overvalued because clicking follow on Instagram or Twitter is the most casual thing you can possibly do. It's, it's a world away from buying a ticket or, or, or a pay-per-view or, or even tuning in. Um, one thing I've always wondered, as I said, you've been doing this a long time. Were you, once you started, were you bitten by the bug and you were in then and you knew that you were a lifer? Or did you think that at the start were you undecided? Did you think, well, I'll just see how this goes and if, and if it goes well and I make some money, then great. I didn't even think about it, Andy. I just did it. Um, I don't think about things like that. I don't think, you know, I'm, I'm going to retire at this age or I was going to do this. I got involved in it purely by accident. And it was through un, what they called unlicensed boxing. It was legal. It was not not what um, Harris portrayed it in some of the films you see, like Lock, Stocks and all those things. But I was involved in that. I was only young myself. I was about 23, 24. And I was, um, my relation... Lenny McLean, that's how I got involved, it through him. But I, it, 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 I just got involved in it and, it, and at that time, all it, I got involved because somebody else had Roy Shaw. I was a young kid. These guys, they were, you know, a couple of these guys were sort of well-known as such and it was just become, it was, you know, I'm up for this, you know, whatever we got to do, let's get on with it and do it. So we did that. Then the next, then I was asked, invited to take a, a license out by the Boxing Board of Control a couple of years later, which is what I, I did. And obviously, boxing was controlled by the then cartel. Beat that BBC television wrapped up. As I mentioned earlier, there was no ITV domestic fights. They had the venues, there was the, all the big venues, they had, had exclusives on them. And it was just a matter of, you know, wanting to break it down getting in there, breaking that, you know, breaking down that thing so that, you know, for me, it would work for me. It worked for the guys that, who I was, the fighters I was with. So it was a challenge and I, you know, and I, I enjoyed it and I still do. I just got on with it. No, no long-term plan, nothing at all. Just get on with it and do it and just keep keep working hard. Um, I could, you know, putting your house up for collateral, 
to, for money for fights, doing all things like that. That's what you do. If you believe in what you're doing, you do it. And, um, you know, I suppose I am a bit of a gambler. I, I used to bet a lot when I was younger, so I was quite a gambler. And, uh, but I knew, I, I knew that I knew that I was as good as anybody else who was in there doing it. And over the years, like anybody, you get knowledge the longer you're in it. And I, and I, and I had good people around me, like Ernie Fossey was my matchmaker. Very experienced, very experienced. He was a former fighter, great cornerman, probably the best cutsman ever been in this country. People like him, you know, working around him, listening to him, watching him. I worked boxers corners. You look at the early fights, I was in the corner. I, I worked the corner with my fighters. You know, all those youngsters I signed, I worked in the corner with them. Joe Bugner's second. So it's not like I've just sat on the outside of ropes looking in. I've worked with the fighters. I was at the gym every day. But obviously, you know, just, put, you know, involved in it all, involved in the training aspects and everything. But as time went on, obviously the promotion side of it takes, takes your life over and, you, and you've got, you can only do so much. So I spent, you know, obviously then started spending more and more time on the uh, promotion side of the business. But I've, you know, I've been there, done it, seen it. You know, I've had uh, relations who've been boxers. Um, so... You know, and I've always been a sports nut. I've always enjoyed my boxing, always enjoyed, uh, enjoy all sport. It's an absolutely key period, and, and, and I was going to ask you at the start, actually, but uh, it, seemed, it seemed like a bit of an abrupt way in. Who has been the more formidable opponent, COVID-19 or the cartel? But the situation with the cartel was a really fascinating one because it's completely different to now. There are lots of different platforms now, and you're just trying to get yourself the best partner you can, whereas then... There was just the BBC showing boxing, and, Mick, and Mickey Duff had it. Um, hence the cartel. I mean, how how did you? That must have seemed like an almost impossible task to start with. I'd have thought. Well, I was on my own, and what there was there was Mickey Duff, Jarvis Stare, Terry Lawless, who, who was the manager, and Mike Barrett. Mike Barrett had the exclusive on Royal Albert Hall. Jarvis Stare was chairman of Wembley, so they had Wembley. Wembley they were the two big stadiums. And they had York Hall. You couldn't get in York Hall either. So it was, it was very difficult. And I, I, I sort of, I went up promoting at, the, at Bloomsbury Crest Hotel. I could get 1,300 people in there. It was a ballroom. That's where I, that's where I was doing my, you know, starting my shows. Like the start, that was my York Hall, if you know what I mean. So I was doing it. And I, and I thought, two to now to get ITV on board. And my very first fight was on BBC. Clint McKenzie against Steve Early. And that was like a nightmare. I won the purse bid. I had bid Duff and Co. and won the purse bid for the fight and got it on. The BBC didn't want to take it. But they, they're, they are, BBC, as you know, are a public corporation. You know, they're, they're funded by license, license uh, TV license fees. So I made a big stink about that. Um, and eventually, we got the... I got it on there. But they, I mean, it, it, was, it was a nightmare. Not on live, they showed, the fight went on a Friday night and they showed the highlights on Grandstand, as it was in those days. Before all your times, Grandstand, they showed uh, the highlights of the show. And then I was trying to get ITV in. I got involved with Joe Bugner. I signed some really good amateurs up and brought Bugner back and I got ITV on board. And it was regional to start with. It was Thames Television. Bob Burrows was there at the time he was the boss. I got, met him. We got on very well and he got behind it. And then all the other regions over a period of, 
you know, very short period. They all then got on board, and then we, I had the whole of ITV. I think one year on ITV, I did, I think it was about 39 shows. I was doing fights on their midweek sports fights on a Wednesday night. I was doing a show called Fight Night, which I think was on Mondays, which was in the central area, area TV, is no central, um, Granada and uh, Yorkshire, I think Scotland. Another series called Seconds Out, which was Thames Television, uh, Southern TV and a couple others, I can't remember what they were there. And then I was doing shows on Saturday night, which went out on London weekend, ITV. And we even did some on World of Sport in the afternoon. We did a couple of afternoon shows. So I was really, really busy. And it had been tough, but that was that was just unbelievable. The pressure, pressure, pressure. But we really worked hard. And we delivered. I mean, we delivered you know, some cracking shows, cracking fights, and built some fighters up. And, and, and most importantly for boxers, there was an alternative. It wasn't a one-shot. You know, one place to go. You one-stop shop. You could, you know, they they could talk to me or talk to the other side, but at least they could. There was some competition there. So, Box Nation always really fascinated me. I did quite a lot of work for for Box Nation. and really enjoyed it because you just had free reign to 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 basically do whatever whatever you wanted. But at that point, there was Sky showing boxing, and really, and really nobody else. So, I mean that. That, that seems kind of unthinkable now, but it's not that long ago, and, and, and that was the scenario. Uh, your, your relationship with Sky came to an end, and so you started and founded and set up your own television channel, which is just, when you think about it, that is, that's as bold as it, as it gets. But the Box Nation years, I mean, you must have a, you must have a lot of affection for them. Well, yeah, but I mean, but I did that as well back in the day. I built an arena. I built London Arena, a 12,500-seat arena. Because we couldn't get an arena, so we built an arena in Docklands, which was, you know, that was in the uh, late 80s. But Box Nation came about because Sky at the time, Barney Francis was there at the time. And Barney, for me, I found it to be hard work. And there was, I think, Matram had eight, he was, what he was about to do, he was about to say, Matram could have eight dates, Ricky Hatton could have eight dates, Frank Maloney could have eight dates, and I could have eight dates. And he wanted to pay a hundred grand a show. That's eight hundred thousand pounds per annum for eight shows, and you're supposed to be running a business, paying boxes, and it just didn't work. So I told him that I was going to start my own channel. And cut a long story short, um, he did. They, they just sort of looked at me and thought, oh, you know, that ain't going to happen. But I knew it would happen. We worked very hard. The pro- we had problems from day one. There was a Russian guy involved who was going to put up a substantial amount of the capital. We put a lot of money in ourselves, and he was putting his money in. And, and I remember, I, I still got the text. He sent me a text said, saying the money had been wired, which I'm still waiting for. I think it's like eight, nine years later. It never, ever arrived. And it was a big blow to us, a big blow, because now we're scrambling around. We've got to make up this, this big hole, this big financial hole. But we got out running and we did our, I think the first, we, we had a really good fight on it, your call, the first fight. It was a cracking fight. Um, you, know, you couldn't have launched it any better. It's probably like one of the small hall fights of the year. And then uh, then Tony, I did uh, Bellu and Cleverly. Cleverly. We put that on there. We put that, and for no subscription, we put it out free to air. We've done about 
four or five shows free to air. So we just put our money up. So we're down the money from uh, the Russian. Um, and it was, you know, it was tough. And then a friend of mine got involved, Bill Ives, he passed away now from Rainham Still. He became involved in it with me. And and, uh, and my sons were involved and we, we just got on with it. Everybody said it at last about three months and it's still there nine years, I think it's nine years now. It's, it's there now. And and it was difficult. The problem I had, I, you know, because it's like a baby to us, was that, I, you know, we did a deal with BT. And, well, we'll just jump back. There. BT at the time got suddenly got, in, got into sport. And I think Barney felt that they were going to come, you know, that I was going to do a deal with them. And whereas he was, he was I, think, I think they were gradually getting out of boxing. And I'd left nine, nine months before my contract had ended. I said, I'm off. And what he'd done, as you know, it's history, he got rid of Ricky. He got rid of uh, Frank Maloney. And, um, and I'd gone anyway. So Matram went up with a deal. Income BT. And they, they then got behind boxing games. They thought BT were going to get straight into and make boxing one of their sport. You know, at that time, um, Sky had, you know, the premiership. So they had it all to themselves. So they didn't want to let anything go. And they didn't want to let, and they certainly didn't want to see um, BT building any portfolio up. But BT didn't get into boxing straight away. It took us a while before we'd done anything. And luckily, I think for Matron was that, Barney decided that they were going to reinvest in the sport. Remember, they had a couple of crappy pay-per-views that they brought um, Audley Harrison. Then the, uh, Eddie Hearn brought Audley Harrison back. He had the fight with David Hay. It was a crap fight, and it bombed. had all sorts of problems on the thing, and they, they then stopped doing pay-per-views. So all things, you know, at the time, you know, things happened for a reason. At the time, that's where it was. And then uh, BT got back into it, and I've done a deal with them. And they were going to let our shows be simultaneously shown to on Box Nation and BT. And then uh, it was about 18 months later, they said, no, we want it exclusive. So I had to make a choice. Am I going to stay with Box Nation or am I going to go with BT? And I had to go with BT because otherwise, at that stage, we you know we need to move our fighters onto, onto, a, onto a bigger platform. So that's what we did. Right, you're talking there about, you know, running the shows free to air. You didn't even charge subscription. I don't, I'm guessing that during that period, you never worked harder in your life. You lost money show after show, but you were trying to get from A to B. You were trying to get it to a place. Now, comparing to today's market, when we talk about the zone, you've got Blotnick, he's coming in, he's thinking, I'm going to have a punt here. I'm going to buy boxing. I'm going to get this. And he's you know throwing hundreds of millions at it. At what point is he going to start thinking, listen, where, where does he need... I mean, you'll know better than me. I'm just, I'm guessing that he must have a target that he wants to get it to, then he sells it to Google, or, or, or maybe he's, he's producing enough. I mean, what's his end game, which you think? Well, I think his end game was to build it up and, is to build it up and sell it. It's, you know, it's successful in Germany, but Germany's a different CB market. They've got, you know, the Bundesliga and a couple other sports there. I think they do fairly well in Scandinavia and Japan. America was all, all was all boxing, and I think he got carried away with um, Anthony Joshua. He went to the fight at Wembley, and they thought they could do that in the states. Where is he? Where, where does he? Uh, he's he's past that point of where he's done his money. He knows he's done it. He ain't getting that money back anytime soon. 
problem is, how are you going to get an investor in? At the moment, you've got um, Alvarez suing them for 280 million. That's like, you know, it's a quarter of a billion suing them. So you've got that case going on. No one's going to be investing while that's there. And they got, and the subscription base is down. And they're not, he's not a four. He's a sense, you know, he's a genius businessman. He done, you know, he, he just sold t- uh, Warner Music. Or you know, sold it and still owns it and still owns eighty percent of it or whatever it is. I mean, he's a genius, the man. He's a very clever man, and I'm sure he's clever enough. He's and he's, he's certainly clever enough to. He's not putting any more money in, and he's clever enough to know that um, that he overpaid. And there's there's overpaying and there's overpaying, but he's really overpaid. And let me say, the zone is no different than Box Nation. So exactly the same business. Yeah, that's I suppose that's what I was getting at, Frank. At what yeah. point does he think I'm throwing good money after bad money? We've just got to cut my losses, or does he keep going? Well, it's does he keep going? I think he looks at the other territories and looks at the other territories and thinks to himself, you know, that they are viable. They stand up. The the boxing in America on its own won't stand up because they haven't got a star. They got one star, Alvarez. He fights twice a year. You know, yeah. that's two weeks of the year. That's not going to sustain the subscription channel. No one's knocking down. You, you know, you look at the Matchroom shows out, out there. No, they haven't delivered any massive subscription base for those shows at all. They just haven't. That's a fact. That's not, I'm not criticising. I'm just saying it hasn't happened. Does he need a deal with the NFL or the NBA? Has he got to cross over? But, but they're not going to go, They're not going to do that. Why? How are you going to take... I don't think they would do it now because, all you know... Remember, they 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 Major League Baseball. They dropped that. There was they got a dispute going on with them. I don't know if that's going legal. They have got UEFA. There's a problem with UEFA. I know there's a big supplier that they got number. So at the moment, no, I don't see American. Look, it's not just about going for the money. You want your sports to have some profile, and those sports depend heavily on sponsorship as well. So those sponsors going to the zone are not going to get. You know they're not going to be seen, so that that models that unless they came in and had a big, you know, a, a major sport in the states to and put boxing on with it would have been okay. Or if they'd have t- paid a market rate for boxing, it probably would still be okay. But they've overpaid ridiculous sums of money, ridiculous sums of money. It's great, great for who's ever gotten the money, but it's crazy money. And I think at the end of the day, I mean, now that you know they're. You know, they're sitting there and they saying, "Where, you know, where, where what are we going to do this? Where do we go with it?" You know, he's, I mean, he's, I'm hearing definitely he's not putting any more money in. There maybe he might put some more in, but if he does, he's just throwing good money after bad. Well, if he pulls out, or when he pulls out, or whatever, which way it happens, there's going to be a massive reset, isn't there, in terms of the market value, the yeah. person, the fighters are getting paid. What, what do you reckon the, the effect of that will be? Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend, Rip, and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the One Stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan, 
new guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts, One Star Recruits. I just think, look, no one's going to be happy. I've seen it happen time and time again. I remember going back to the day, there was a guy whose name was Harold, I think his name was Harold Smith. He embezzled a lot of money from Wells Fargo in America and he put it all into boxing and it all went through the roof and then it came down again. That's what will happen. The money they paid uh, Alvarez was, the reason he got his money, or Canelo, what you want to call it, the reason he got that money is because of the pay-per-view numbers. But those pay-per-view shows... They were charging $100 a pop. They were charging $10. So it could never work. They were hoping that, they were, you know, they, all those people were going to come. And then they moved out to, was it $20 or whatever? But it's twice a year. You need regular. It's like Box Nation. We did that pay-per-view show with um, uh, David Hay and Derek Chisora. We got just under, just under 300,000 people bought that. That's big numbers. And, you know, we never had a marketing budget like Sky or anything. And then we were going to do Tyson's fight against his rematch with um, Klitschko. Billy Joe Saunders signed to fight um, uh, Triple G. All those fights were lined up, and that would have been brilliant. But we lost we lost three of them straight away. But, you know, Tyson had his problems. Uh, Golovkin, they never sent back to sign their, sites, their contract sign. So... I know how tough it is. I, no one can tell me how tough subscription, what it is, that channel. And you, I, I always felt that the zone in the States, I wanted it to work because I think it's competition and it's good to be out there. It's good. You know, the more outlets you got for boxing, the healthier the sport is. You know, that's what we want. We want our sport to be, you know, not, you know, we want it to be out there mainstream, but, the finances could never stack up. And more importantly, and I'm going to keep saying it, they never built a star. When we took, when, when I left ITV and went to Sky, every, and Sky then had three and a half million subscribers, everyone said, oh, this is crazy. You'll never build a star on, on Sky. Never. We built Ricky Hatton on Sky. That's, so it can be done. And the point I'm making, they haven't done that with billions. Was it a billion he got, whatever it was he's going to put in there? I haven't yeah. built one. Is TV just scattered now, though? You know, like you said, you had the two channels and then you got Sky, it goes less. But are there, like, are there almost too many channels now that it gets, it's harder to build a star. But you can, look, when, when I started out, not, not that I ever watched it, but Coronation Street was on, 20 million people are watching it. Well, what, only watch it now, five, six, because it's 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 now. It's, it, it, there are all these different channels. You can, if you're into gardening, there's gardening channels. If you're into, you know, do it yourself, there's do it yourself channels. There's channels for everything. There's sports channels. You know, whereas those BBC and ITV, they was everything to everybody. You'd have sport, light entertainment, films. You know, you name it, it was on there. Religious programs, everything on there. Now you can go and specifically find what you want. That's not going to change. And there'll be even more now because some of these streaming services, some of these, like what we're doing now, you've got a voice. You never had this voice years ago. Well, you, what, you, this would not be happening. You know, I do my podcast. That would never have been, never have been happening. Anyone can, I mean, if you, 
you know, you think about it, you know, you think how IFL started out. What's his name? Um, okay. uh, Google gets a camera and has built something. Suddenly cut from nothing, from nothing, from a bloke coming round with a camera. You thought, who's this nuisance driving me around the bend? So now look what he's done. He's done brilliant with himself. But the point I'm making, that's now the world we live in. So I don't think this, you're not going to change it. And it will keep evolving and it keep evolving. But what will, what will make our sport relevant is good fights, high-profile fights. Keep building, showing people there, you know, there's a, the, there are characters, there are stories to follow. You want to take that viewer on the journey with you. You, know, you want to see this kid start out. You know, look at him. He could be the next big thing and take them take all with you. You, you, you take him along. And Sky were very good at doing that with um, with Anthony Joshua. You know, Anthony Joshua coming, he, he won a gold medal in London. Don't get no bigger than that in heavyweight division. And Box Nation and Sky, we were both after him. We had meetings. He went with Sky, and Sky threw the kitchen sink at him. You know, everything everything they could do promotionally to make that work. I remember at those days as well, Murdoch not didn't just own Sky; he owned all the newspapers the radio stations he subsequently bought. So all those were all behind it, and that was great. I mean, it's all been broken up now, as we know. He sold the TV and so forth. But that was great. He was in the right place at the right time. Almost like a perfect storm. Yeah. And then, then we, you know, and you think what we've done with Tyson was that somebody who no one, no one wanted to know him. It was terrible where he was. And, you know, we got together. It, it, he has been brilliant for me, and I think I was brilliant for him. And we worked very hard to, to get, you know, to well, he obviously done the business in the ring to get him where he needed to be. And you know, it, we, we, you know, we proved that it can be done. These things can be done. You can bring these guys. It still can be done today. But the problem you got with newspapers is the sports editors. All they're interested in is probably about four fighters. Don't care about the rest. That's the problem you have. So you've got to bring these, bring your next generation through on their shows, on the back of them, bringing them through, getting them out there. So Frank, we'll, we'll wind this up fairly shortly because you've already stayed um, a lot longer than, um, than we were told you'd be able to. But uh, just to, just finally, what, what, what do you make of Eddie Hearn? Because according to legend, and uh, I believe it is true, the two of you have never, have never met no, never met him. I've never met him. I've spoken to him uh, once. You know, we put our thing out. I sent him a, I sent him an email. Sorry, I called him, left a message, and then he rang me back and said he's, you know, waiting to the end of uh, his run of shows. He was going on holiday. Let's get together. And I'm still waiting. <laughs> I mean, do you, well, do you I'm not make... wait. I'll, I'll go be honest. I'm not waiting. What do I make of him? He's done well for himself. You know, he's done well. He, he, you know, um, Barry. I know his dad, Barry, for years. Barry and I had done some business together. We were involved in a breakaway snooker organisation many years ago that broke away. Um, uh, I remember Barry asked me to invest in Leighton Orient. Um, and a few other things over the years, but uh, and, and I'll put the TV deal together for the uh, um, Ben Eubank fight. So we've worked in the past together. Um, 
And, you know, obviously Eddie Hearn's come in and he's he's done extremely well. There's no doubt about that. You know, he, he was in the right place at the right time for Sky. Or with Sky, I should say. Okay, so Macklin, final question for you then. Um, one room, no windows, one door. Frank Warren, Eddie Hearn, who comes out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think if Frank Warren... You know, the promoter was a boxer. He's Rocky Balboa, you know, <laughs> because he's never, ever, ever, ever beaten. I, when, when I come into boxing, the amount of people that were saying to me year after year, oh, Frank's finished now. He's done that. He's done that. 20 years later, he's still here. So <laughs> Frank's that guy in the 15th round that you just can't keep down. So, you know, that's, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Very diplomatic. You know, Very you diplomatic. Listen, he knows the truth. and won't come out that room. I'll give the age, height, weight, a lot of weight. Okay, well, thank, Frank, thanks very much for your time. This has been great fun. Um, and hopefully we can we can do it again down the road and hopefully in person too. That would be that would be great. It's uh, I mean, Zoom's kind of saved everybody doing doing this um, over the last few months and uh, and it's been great. But uh, God, it's going to be good to, to get back out to a venue where there's a crowd and where everybody's there and we can all just sit around in the foyer in the bar and, and chat. I mean, it'll be amazing, won't it? Whoever thought, whoever thought we'd be in this position, it's awful. But we've got to be optimist and I'm quite sure that will happen in the future. Okay, we'll leave it there. Frank, thanks very much. And everybody listening, thanks to you too. If you can get onto iTunes and, and give us a, a review and, and, a, and a rate, uh, then, then please do do that. Actually, I, I, I saw quite a funny one this week. We had one review this week uh, and it was somebody who gave us two stars um, and their comment was, they're a better. Yeah, you're going to be naked there because if anyone comes on there, you're going to get one for this one. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But I just read it and just thought, what motivates you to actually go to the website and click on and even type those three words. It's madness. Um, but, but anyway, it brought a smile to my face, which is, uh, which is always welcome. Um, yes, everybody stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you again soon. And old Lucy Brown. Yes, that line falls on the right page. Not that Maggie. Back in Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.